0: Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 8. The Great Divorce, Chapter 6, The Apple Thief. Friends, welcome to the Pints with Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity with you guys. We are currently in season two, in unlocking the treasures hidden within our favorite C.S. Lewis work, *The Great Divorce*. My name is Matt, and I'm joined by my friend David, who I would wager wouldn't be able to lift even the smallest heavenly apple from *The Great Divorce*.
1: You are gonna be in so much trouble with my mother. <laughs> You're mean.
0: Hey, you know what? I have been incredibly kind these last few weeks because I know your mother's listening.
1: And now you've just gone and ruined it all. Oh, my
0: goodness. (laughs) Is it going to be one of those, like, confirmation bias where I've been great for the last month, but she's going to focus on just this one time because I was mean again?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You're off the Christmas card list. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I'm excited for the quote this week. What do we got?
1: Well, the quote this week is a description of the central event of this chapter. Lewis describes the action of Ikey, the bowler-hatted ghost. I could see him feverishly trying to fill his pockets with apples. Of course, it was useless. One could see how his ambitions were gradually forced down. He gave up the idea of a pocketful. Two would have to do. He gave up the idea of two. He would take one, the largest. He gave up that hope. He was now looking for the smallest one. He was trying to find if there was one small enough to carry.
0: Uh, When you started that quote, and you said the essential act, or the essential... Uh, part of this this chapter i was curious what you're going to read because i actually didn't read anything of your notes on this in listeners david and i switch now every week leading and so i'm thinking to myself all right what did david identify as the most central component of this and did i get it right <laughs> <laughs> yes is the answer glad to hear it so i'm drinking the Lacroix as usual because of the exodus 90 it's a delicious lime flavored sparkling water David, what are you going to be enjoying as I painfully listen to you taste it?
1: Well, actually, I thought I'd be very charitable, which is rather appropriate given you've been rather mean already. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually having some ginger tea because I felt under the weather for the last couple of weeks. So I wanted something to soothe my throat.
0: So does that mean it's charitable now that you just kind of betrayed your initial statement and admitted that it's because you're under the weather?
1: It's only reduced it a little bit, but I still have the moral high ground. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Cheers. Cheers. Before we get into the episode, I am very pleased to announce that Giovanna won the Patty Callahan competition.
0: Woo! That's exciting.
1: It is indeed. So, Giovanna, if you message me with your address, I'll send you the signed copy of Becoming Mrs. Lewis.
0: I don't even have a signed copy of Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Do you?
1: I don't, actually.
0: Oh, good. If you said yes, I was going to be like... You have a first edition Great Divorce. You have a signed copy of Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Lewis. I go to New York and I just get punished.
1: Rightly so. Speaking of traveling, this past weekend, I was in Pomona at a C.S. Lewis conference.
0: Ah, uh, you texted me a few things. How did that go?
1: It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was surrounded by my people.
0: <laughs> How many, uh, wait, what? You twos? moments did you have?
1: Yeah, quite a few. Quite a few. It was it was fun. The most common question I think I asked is what's your Lewis story?
0: I just want you to know I feel cheated on right now.
1: You could have come here.
0: (laughs) Again, this falls back on me for leaving.
1: Exactly. But I got to meet Jerry Root, a bunch of other scholars. Uh we also got to see an advanced clip of an upcoming five part documentary, which is called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe and a Great War. And it's based on a book of the same title which I actually read last year.
0: You know it's really sad? I have this uh, filtering software on my computer that prevents me from looking at pornography and accountability. It won't let me watch this trailer.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: I know, right? <laughs> so I, I tried every single way around this. I, 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 I want to watch this, but I can't.
1: Well, for people who don't have that software installed, <laughs> you can go to hobbitwardrobe.com and watch the trailer.
0: Oh, uh, that's a bummer. But I did look up the book, and I'm actually going to buy it. It had incredible reviews. And it mm-hmm. seems like a fantastic book.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. I actually studied World War I. That was my main topic of study when I was at school. And I learned so much stuff.
0: I did not know that. You and I have this unique friendship where it's been so concentrated around one thing. There's a lot of stuff I still don't know about you. <laughs> I know a lot about our Lewis stuff. And I know a lot about our, our uh, romantic endeavors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Our respective romantic endeavors.
0: (laughs) Lack thereof, in my case. I'm curious, though, what was the high point of the conference?
1: Mm, I think I'd probably say the Andrew Lazo talks. He was a real delight. On the first day, he gave a two-hour Q&A where you could just ask any question about Lewis. Uh, So that was a lot of fun.
0: What did you ask him? What was the best question you asked him?
1: Uh, The very first one that I asked I said that we read a lot about Lewis drinking beer and port and scotch, but I never get any brand names and I would rather like to drink something that he drank. So what did he drink? And he then read me an email that Walter Hooper, Lewis's secretary, had sent him about this particular subject. And it turns out that that 69 was the brand of scotch that he drank.
0: That is so cool. Why don't we have to get some of this? I'm on it. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, have you figured out? Is it, is it purchasable? Do you have to order it from somewhere special?
1: It does exist. I'm trying to find out now how to get it without breaking the bank.
0: Uh, I thought you going to say without breaking a few laws.
1: <laughs> no, no. It'll be good. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it somewhere.
0: Okay. Well, very cool. Well, we had some really great messages from listeners this past week. And it's fun to share them with everyone, not because we want to brag about what people are saying about our podcast. It's only about 20% of it. (laughs) Genuinely, David and I like to encourage it because if you guys hear other people sending in, we really love to get messages and not just praise. Again, that sounds really vain, but just messages in general of how it's impacting you in other way, other questions that you might have. We want to encourage that kind of dialogue.
1: It allows us to realize that we're not just two people having a Skype conversation. There are actually people listening and enjoying what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that is a very good point. It helps us recognize that there, it, it builds a connection between us and you guys. Uh, social media and stuff can help with that, but these direct messages are the best way to make that connection feel really tangible.
1: Makes us feel less crazy.
0: <laughs> well, I still feel that usually after these, but...
1: I did say less. Yeah, crazy.
0: good point. So this first one was from Josh, and he sent us a message, and he just came across our C.S. Lewis podcast when he was browsing through iTunes, and those are my favorite ones. Our, our, our winner, actually, of the Patty Callahan, Giovanna, she was the same thing. She told us she searched for C.S. Lewis podcast, and that is because of you guys, the listeners, rating us and sharing it and getting us more subscribers because that boosts our, our searchability. And that's, you guys are evangelizing indirectly. But he said, I'm excited because it's coming Saturday. I'm going to the Logos Theater in Taylor, South Carolina. And my wife and I will see the horse and his boy And Douglas Gresham will be in attendance, multiple exclamation points. (laughs) I'm hoping to get an autograph and a picture with him. Needless to say, we are very jealous of Josh.
1: Very. Actually, the guy who I interviewed in the first After Hours episode Justin Wiggins, he's actually going to that performance as well. So if you see each other, wave.
0: I actually looked at Priceline and thought of just buying a day flight out there because now that I'm in New York, everything is really cheap for me to get to places if it's close to an airport. I'm like, Douglas Gresham? Oh, I'm totally going. (laughs) So the next one's from Rick, and he was drawing on the wartime imagery from your Christianity. He said, Greetings, fellow Christian saboteurs behind enemy lines. It's great to know you are in the foxhole nearby. (laughs) What a great sentence. He goes on after that to talk about his involvement together with his son, Jeff, on the White Horse Inn podcast. And he found this when he went to YouTube to find Jeffrey Howard's recording of your Christianity. And he said, I am your biggest fan. Well done, boys. God bless. (laughs) Well, Rick, you have become our biggest fan. God bless to you, too.
1: Again, I think my mother is going to have an issue with that statement. Um, Maybe second biggest fan?
0: Uh, (laughs) Your mother is hard to please.
1: This is where I get it from.
0: (laughs) This explains a lot. She has high standards, and I appreciate that. That's
1: me sucking up. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of other amazing things, I, I saw a video on Twitter the other day by Lena Maslow. She's written and illustrated a picture book biography of Lewis about his life and how he came to write the Chronicles of Narnia. I reached out to her and she says it's going to be released in the spring of 2020. Nearer the time, I'm definitely going to try and get her onto the show to talk about it.
0: Well, that'd be a great idea.
1: It's, it's really beautiful.
0: Listeners, David has just been crushing the whole networking, meeting new individuals. He's like taking on this whole extroverted face of, of this podcast
1: explains why I'm so tired. Yeah,
0: I get to sit behind (laughs) the computer, do these recordings, and then I never deal with social media or any of that. David's out there hitting the pavement, meeting people, going to conferences. He's crushing it.
1: Okay, let's get on with the rest of today's episode. So it's my turn to do the 150-word summary of the chapter. So cue that music. Jack arrives at a massive waterfall he notices that a nearby hawthorn bush seemed to be behaving oddly. It turns out to be the intelligent ghost whom Lewis met on a bus who wants to export heavenly goods to the grey town. He is sneaking up to a tree with golden apples. After recovering from injuries inflicted by falling fruit, the ghost attempts to fill his pockets with the apples. But his ambitions were gradually forced down from multiple large apples to the smallest apple he could find. Even though he's bent double, he begins the torturous journey back to the bus. The waterfall, which is an angel, tells him to put the apple down since there is not room for it in hell. He invites him instead to remain in heaven and to learn to eat such apples. The ghost either doesn't hear the angel or chooses to ignore him. He continues his journey back to the bus.
0: That's never a good sign when you're reading this summary and it's teaching me some stuff about the chapter that I'm supposed to lead. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually research. I, was, I, I planned on you answering this question of <laughs>
1: who it said. Except the bleeding charity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it said it's the ghost is Icky. And icky. Icky. And I'm like, I could research which one that was from the bus ride or I could just ask David, who is Icky?
1: If you remember, there was that strange, innocuous fight on the bus, and Lewis then finds himself sitting next to somebody new. He's got a big, bulbous nose, he's got a bowler hat, and he talks about how he's going to go to heaven and bring back some substantial goods to sell in the grey town, and that's going to make him rich, and it's also going to build community and society, because he says it's scarcity that really does that.
0: Ah, I remember this guy now. See, this is what this is why we keep you around on this podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. For all of the information and commentary and work.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, that and the editing and the networking and all of the other stuff. <laughs> well, before we jump in, though, to this episode, a quick recap of last week's episode and, and how it's connecting to this one. So last week is a reminder. We talked about the Episcopal ghost, and that's David's favorite one. And he did an incredible job talking about how annoying this ghost was. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of the a big takeaways, if we remember, there was this discussion of absolute truth versus relative truth. This, this ghost couldn't accept absolute truth. He, he, he just needed everything to be a discussion and a debate and a theological debate. And he would never accept that something could just be a given stated fact. And we see this a lot today. We see we're living a very relativistic society. So that chapter really related to me and hit me. And I would argue accepting absolute truth is a very important step in Christianity. Because as we know, David, everything you and I are talking about, whether Christianity is true, beautiful, all this other stuff is either right or wrong. We're going to die and Mm -hmm. find out either we were dead wrong or we were partially right. But there is going to be, there is going to be truth. And people today don't really seem to accept that statement. And it's hard to have any sort of conversations. The other big takeaway was, and David pointed this one out, I liked it, the slow fade. I remember that that statement where he talks about, well, you know, we were just getting caught in the current and the ideas of the time, and we didn't put forth any resistance.
1: They were swept along.
0: They were swept along. And so that, that was last week. Now, this week is going to be a, a unique chapter, rather, unlike the last couple of chapters, where the bulk of the chapter is actually more about the scenery and the landscaping. So it's going to be a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I think in this one, Lewis really wants us to feel this heavenly landscape.
0: That's exactly right. And so a big part of this entire book, but this chapter really jumps out, is the theme of that ultimate reality. So that ultimate reality we've discussed already is he describes it as so beautiful, but he also describes how painful it is. And so we're going to see that in here. And why is it painful? And I'm going to argue as we go through this, there's a fear that we're going to see throughout this and our ego can really get in the way of it. So as we go through this chapter, think about fear, think about the resistance to ultimate reality, but then also pay attention to that beauty. He starts off the chapter by saying, the cool, smooth skin of the bright water was delicious to my feet. I loved that.
1: It kind of reminds me of the comment that he made when the bus first lands in heaven and he hears a lark.
0: Ah, yes. That was another one of those words that just jumps out to you. This one, delicious to my feet. You don't ever associate deliciousness with your feet. After a few hard things come, which I loved, I, I, I you almost see this as he did what he could. He's not He's not substantial yet, so he walked against the river because he had some sort of substance to him. Then a sudden, this foam comes, the waves come, and he can't quite handle it, so he steps out. And I actually love that. I thought Lewis was trying to teach us a little something there.
1: As I was reading that, I thought, if they turn this into a movie today, that scene is going to be a ridiculous action scene of him diving out of the way of this foam. I, I,
0: I, I really thought it was a metaphor for something so much more, and I thought it was brilliant that he was able to walk through it pretty decently, but there's only so much he can do. Because think of it, if he was a spirit, he'd be able to crush through that water.
1: Mm, It would be permeable. He's not ready for this yet.
0: Yes. And so it looked like, you know, he did what he could. He grew a bit, but then he had to get off and he walks on smooth rocks and he said it was easy under his feet. I I believe Lewis is very intentional with all that language. But sure enough, as he's out of it, he also hears this immense yet lovely noise in a distance and it carries him to a new place.
1: And an important theme in this book is desire. So I think it's important to point out that Lewis is drawn to the source of this immense yet lovely noise.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. I didn't think of that. It pulled him, it drew him there. And then sure enough, when he when he gets there, I love, again, here's another example of beautiful language. Green slopes made a wide amphitheater enclosing a frothy and pulsating lake. And he makes the lake seem alive. Pulsating. So that goes back to that theme I discussed at the beginning of how ultimate reality
1: is beautiful. And the, I don't know, the size of the impression is ginormous. Mm-hmm. He says that he realizes that something had happened to his senses so that he can now receive an impression which would normally exceed his capacity. He says that if he was still on Earth, this waterfall couldn't be perceived as a whole; It was just too big. The sound would have been a terror in the woods for 20 miles. And although there's a shock when he encounters it here in heaven, he says that his sensibility managed to take it in in the same way that a well-built ship takes a huge wave.
0: Yeah, and and what did you make of that? Because I I reflected on that a little bit when he says his senses were beyond normal capacity. I, I actually couldn't wrap my head around the difference between... I mean, I don't go to a waterfall and think I can't handle it, but...
1: Oh, I don't know. Have you ever had a situation where the music seems too loud the crowd seemed too big and it seemed overwhelming and you need to draw back from it.
0: Yeah, sensory overwhelmingness, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think he's saying that normally this would be sensory overload. That's the word I was thinking of. But we can see that something's already started to happen to him since he first landed in heaven. The land is having an effect on him. And actually something happens very similar to the children in the Chronicles of Narnia. When they return to Narnia, they become stronger, wiser, the skills that they've learned start coming back to them.
0: That actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, as I said, I think the land is changing them. And he's going on a journey, and we see that the journey has already started to make him somewhat more substantial. He can't handle the foam of the river. That still hurts his feet. But he can perceive this waterfall.
0: Your thinking is confirmed at the end of this chapter. He mentions the leaves and something else would be happy to teach you this. Like it's not just the spirits that create this growth. The land itself creates the growth, too. It's alive. It's alive.
1: <laughs> and in the course of his writing, I think Lewis is trying to... He wants us to feel the beauty, the wonder, but also the danger of this waterfall. He describes the noise like a group of giants laughing together, which is both incredible and slightly terrifying slightly menacing
0: and as he's now looking at this waterfall and where it's plunging into the lake he notices this tree and he uses a capital t and he says the tree is filled with golden apples so first before we go into it why do you think he put a capital t on it like
1: is this the garden of eden the tree i i think the allusions here are many i think he's capitalizing the tree to draw attention to it that it is Something more than just a regular tree? Lewis was steeped in the classics. And so if you know the classics and you hear golden apples, you'll think of the nymphs of Hesperides. They guarded a tree of golden apples. There was also an instance in Greek mythology where the goddess of discord, she she throws a golden apple into the place where the gods are feasting. And on it is a message that says, to the most beautiful. <laughs> And this inevitably causes a fight between the goddesses Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite.
0: (laughs) I never knew any of that.
1: Actually, if you want to learn more about mythology, there's a really good podcast that's called Mythology. uh, And they actually went through the golden apple a month or two ago.
0: I love your humility and charity in life where you recommend so many podcasts on our podcasts that ultimately, if you genuinely think of it, are competitors because people only have so much time. And so if they start (laughs) listening to a ton, they they only can listen to so many. So let's
1: hope we're better than the ones you recommend. People just need to learn to listen to podcasts on high speed. Uh, (laughs) And there was actually another incident I could think where Lewis spoke about golden apples and it's in the problem of pain. And there he calls it the golden apple of Selford, And he says, if you try and cling to it, discord inevitably follows.
0: Oh, that that that's it, I, I think. That's a big part of what that golden apple is. We're about to see, as you've already alluded to in the summary, that this ghost in this chapter is going to try to take this apple and take it back with him. And ultimately, it's the intelligent one that wants to uh, make a profit off it, bring it to the Grey Town. In Lewis, I believe it's in the Space Trilogy, talks about how things have a use and you can't go beyond what that use is. And so eating is just for eating, eat the apple and accept it for what it is and move on. He's trying to idolize it and pretty much build his entire life around it. And that's very dangerous. And in this case, it builds discord, as you said. And actually he wants to build discord. He says the scarcity of the commodity will force people together through competition. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious.
1: Yes, unity, unity through discord. Yeah, That's Lewis, Lewis
0: brings these things all throughout his
1: books. Well, the other place that I thought, they weren't golden apples, but they were silver apples at the very end of The Magician's Nephew, the prequel in The Chronicles of Narnia. And there we see that theme repeated that one character takes one of these apples in the wrong way and one of them takes it in the right way. And that brings us all the way back around to the first illusion that you suggested, which is the Garden of Eden in the Book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree.
0: This is going to be like your Patty Callahan interview all all over again. Oh, I didn't think of that one. That's so great.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, I'm going to blow your mind right away. All right, I'm ready. In the Book of Genesis, what kind of fruit is on the tree? The apple. The text does not say apple. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. This is on a par with the three wise men... Saul falling off his horse. They're not actually in the text.
0: (laughs) Oh, does it just say fruit?
1: Just says fruit of the tree. It
0: does click with me now. Yeah.
1: But do you know why it's often thought of as an apple and often painted as an apple? No. How's your Latin?
0: Awful. Never studied it. (laughs) I did terrible on the SAT vocabulary section.
1: Do you remember what the word malum means?
0: Nope. Never even heard of it, so it's not even about remembering.
1: (laughs) malum means evil do you know what malum also means apple, apple. i was just gonna say apple <laughs> <laughs> so it was because of the common root for those two words in latin that the fruit of the tree was often rendered as an apple
0: i thought you're gonna blow my mind that was just pretty common knowledge
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay well then let's let's try this so the early church fathers would often speak as though Adam and Eve would eventually have been granted the right to that fruit, but only at the right time and in the right way. But, of course, they didn't do that. They didn't wait, and they reached out, grasped, and took it for themselves. And that's when all the trouble happened.
0: So what would they argue is the right time and the right way?
1: Basically passing through the trial with the serpent.
0: Ah. hmm Interesting.
1: And we're now about to meet a ghost who also wants the fruit of a tree, and who also goes about it in the wrong way.
0: Mind blown. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take over for the rest of here. As David said, though, now we're about to see where the ghost comes in. He's looking at the tree, he sees his golden apples, and there's this commotion this rustling that's that's uh, catches him out of the corner of his eye and he looks over and he Oh sees- no 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 hang
1: on. I I have to read this this Okay I really wanted this to be the quote of the week and I was actually rather than calling this episode the apple thief I wanted to call it the hawthorn bush which behaved oddly <laughs> Lewis describes it this way he says a hawthorn bush not 20 yards away seemed to be behaving oddly <laughs> As if, how is it supposed to be behaving,
0: <laughs> other than just not behaving? Oh, uh, it did say uh, this this ghost, Ikey. Yeah, Ikey, Ikey. Yeah, it said he's crouched, crouching as if to conceal himself from something beyond the bush, and it was looking back at me, making signals. So it's behav It's it's. He's just very skittish. He's very frantic. He doesn't know. He's very afraid.
1: What do you think he's afraid of?
0: So I have a few theories on this. We've talked all about ultimate reality and how it's beautiful, but it's scary. I think you're getting there and you're afraid of a number of things. You're afraid of being found out. It's alluding to. So, you know, you're a ghost, you know, you're insubstantial, you're around all this substantial stuff. You're afraid of being found out. People can see right through you. And that's a psychological thing in our day to day, fear of being found out. I would say it could be the fear of the light, maybe a little bit related to that. This one might be a bit more of a stretch, but I think th- theologically it makes sense a fear of not being enough so you're you're in this substantial place and it's intense it's tough it hurts and have you ever been on the Christian journey and you think to yourself i'm not good enough for this i'm never going to become that person or enough to be able to mm-hmm. accept all this or for God to love me so I think the fear can take any of those f- forms what do you think though
1: no you uh, you've covered it
0: oh that's a f- wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt has made it. This is this is a good this is a good moment. I said it so well, David didn't have to add anything.
1: And since we all know pride comes before a fall, please continue.
0: <laughs> Here comes the fall. But as he said, he's in fear. It describes him as running back and not running back and forth, but running to different trees, ultimately seeking concealment and hiding until he eventually gets to the tree with golden apples. And it says when he gets there, he's he's just outside of it, and there's these lilies. And I thought it was interesting how he actually spends a bit of time discussing these lilies. And they were very – he described them as an insuperable obstacle.
1: Insuperable.
0: Insuperable. You can keep that in, too. <laughs> <laughs> and he says – this is a whole well, episode <laughs>
1: this is an episode of we learning were, I, I, words with matt
0: <laughs> yes but did i not just admit earlier this episode that i was terrible at vocabulary and i have no background in latin ask me anything about math ai science i'm great there english vocab Ooh,
1: i'm seeing the pride come back up okay let's give let's hear your full. <laughs> carry on
0: so in an ins i don't know what you said about that. insuperable superable so an insuperable object, and he even goes so far as said it might as well have tried to tread down an anti-tank trap as to walk on them. Like, that's how tough these lilies were. And he even tried crawling between them. He couldn't do that. But, he, but you talked about desire. He had this desire pulling him to it because even in the face of all these obstacles, it said he kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, which,
1: yeah, it's great. It's, imp- it's impressive. Yeah. And how often have you met people in life? who seem really dedicated to a particular goal. You might think that goal is silly, but you can't help but be impressed by their determination. They clearly see some value in what they're pursuing.
0: I like to hear, I think of, I always tell people this, God can use the wrong desires. Because he's probably strengthening himself slightly throughout that process. And God's using a desire of his that's selfish and making them slightly stronger.
1: He survives the falling fruit.
0: Yes. So next we hear this, this real gust of wind comes, knocks these fruits off. It, it knocks him out. I like how Lewis said it probably should have almost killed him, like totally knocked him out, but it only knocked I, I don't him.
1: know how you kill someone when they're already dead, but sure. <laughs>
0: That's a good point. You should, uh, if you ever see Lewis in, in heaven, you can say, Lewis, I think he made a mistake there. <laughs> and But it knocked him out for a few minutes and then he was able to get back up. And here's that most important part that David described in the beginning. He tried filling his pockets with these apples, couldn't do it, then tried to put two in, couldn't do it, then tried to find the largest one, couldn't do it, then tried to find the smallest one. And what stuck out to me is Lewis makes a comment that he was shocked that he actually was able to lift the single smallest one, where Lewis couldn't even lift a leaf.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That could possibly be just to the time that he's been in heaven, but it could also be to the fact that he just really wants it. His desire is that strong that he's willing to go on this Via Dolorosa. Yes. Ooh, Latin lesson. It means way of suffering. It's often used to refer to Jesus carrying the cross, his Via Dolorosa.
0: I'd heard it in that, in that setting, but interestingly enough, it didn't dawn on me until you put that. Dolorosa to me was a beautiful word. I assumed it was something pretty. <laughs> I mean, Della Rosa sounds like a rose. Sounds, I, I just pictured this beautiful rose walk or something like that. I knew via. It was a street. In Spanish, via is like a, a street, a path.
1: Anthrax, deadly nightshade. Beautiful words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then he hears the waterfall speaking, which, as David already mentioned in summary, turns out to be an angel. And it says, fool, put it down. You cannot take it back. There is not room for it in hell. Stay here and learn to eat such apples. The leaves in the blades of grass in the woods will delight to teach you. So there you go, which I mentioned earlier, that last sentence. It mentions that the leaves in the grass want to teach you.
1: Yeah, this is quite a shocking image. And I think it's also full of so much symbolism. Lewis describes the waterfall as an angel, but it's standing cruciform and pouring itself out into the lake. So the waterfall, this angel, is symbolic of gift, pouring himself out into this lake. And here you have this thief who wants to not give, but to take. I didn't even think of that. Heaven's desire is actually for this bowler-hatted ghost to take these apples, but not like that. Earlier, when we went through all of those allusions of golden apples, you have this common theme of, The fruit is meant to be taken, but in the right way and at the right time. He's trying to use the apples in a way which was never intended. You pointed that out earlier. He wants to make a profit out of this rather than to feed on them. And when I was reading through this, I realized how ridiculous it is. He is struggling to get this apple back to the grey town. To do what? He can barely lift it. He's never going to be able to eat it. His quest is, and pun very much intended, going to be fruitless.
0: Well played with the pun.
1: Yeah, I don't like it when people say no pun intended. It's like, man up, own your puns.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I. you know, when I was reading that, I pictured, what would it be like if he actually tried to eat it? His teeth would (laughs)
1: shatter. Be like trying to eat diamonds.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. As I mentioned in the beginning, this chapter was different. There's very little with the ghost interaction, but there was a lot packed into this. There was an incredible description of ultimate reality through the river, through the waterfall, the way you described the angel, the tangibleness of the the apple. It was another beautiful description of that. But again, we see the difficulty of accepting this reality. We see how hard it is to lift the apple. We see how strong the current of the river can be. We see how tangible the grass is as usual. The wind was so strong it knocked the apples down on top of them and knocked them over. This is a great metaphor in all of our own spiritual journeys. For me, accepting Christianity and the teachings of Christianity took time. And I would encourage any listeners who are on this journey if someone had told me I was going to believe all I believe now five years ago when I was really starting to take it seriously, there was a lot I disagreed with, and I was fine being in this disagreement state because I couldn't go from zero to a hundred. I went from zero to 10 to 20 to 30 and God was slowly unpacking and revealing truth to me in the same way we see it in the old Testament and the new Testament revelation happened over time. And so there's a lesson here for all of us to recognize that reality is hard. We're going to be afraid of it. There's going to be things that we we don't want to accept because it asks a ton of us. Our egos are going to resist it. And that's okay. Don't ever let that discourage you from the journey. Just keep moving forward. Keep making the next step. The grass will get easier and easier under your feet. The apple will get lighter. Eventually it'll start tasting sweet. And you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, that was incredible. I'm glad I went on that journey. But know one thing. This transformation will not happen without grace. That's... All throughout this book and and prevalent in every single chapter, if you aren't coming to prayer, silence, solitude, depending on your denomination, the sacraments, you need that grace to be able to handle and experience and continue this transformational process within.
1: And the only thing I would add to that from this chapter...
0: Oh, he's going to have to add something. Shoot.
1: (laughs) I thought I was going to get two
0: in one episode.
1: I'm going to end with scripture, so that's okay. Okay, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) Some things need to be done in the right way at the right time. Remember we've spoken about sin and evil and how it's a distortion. It's seeking something in the wrong way at the wrong time or to the wrong degree. In this chapter, we see the the capitalist, the bowler-hatted ghost, the intelligent ghost. He wants these apples, but he doesn't go about it in the right way. Like our first parents, he wants to take them. He wants to steal them. And what Christianity says is, don't approach it that way. Come to God and accept what he wants to give you as a gift. So I actually wanted to read from Philippians 2. Actually, I've got another Latin phrase for you. This, this section of Philippians 2 is called the Carmen Christi, which is Latin for the hymn of Christ.
0: Wow. I've never heard something described that way in scripture. I am incredibly intrigued with what this verse says.
1: Well, it's an early Christian hymn that St. Paul is quoting in Philippians, just in the same way that if you were preaching to a congregation and you wanted to talk about God's gratuitous goodness, you might say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You would quote a song that they know. Well, St. Paul does that in Philippians. He quotes the Carmen Christi. When he's exhorting them to humility, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Think of Adam and Eve there, grasping at the fruit. Jesus doesn't do that. Paul says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And it's as a result of all of this that God, raises Jesus from the dead and gives him the name which is above every name. And this is the attitude that we need to have when we come to God. Not reaching out, grasping, and taking, but with our hands open for whatever gift that God wants to give us that will help transform us from hellish creatures into heavenly ones.
0: Mm, kenosis to theosis. Bingo. Bingo. I don't want to ruin that by making a plug of our Heavenly Hellish Creature video. That's doing so great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everyone, please go and watch our Heavenly and Hellish Creatures video. It's really good.
0: <laughs> it's a step above all the rest in terms of the, the, the people making it to the end. People like that one. Wow. You know, what we've all been waiting for, David, though, is for Matt to shut up and to David to read the haikus.
1: Once again, I've got a few. I wrote three haikus for the bowler-hatted ghost. Supply and demand, Keynesian economics, let's turn hell around. <laughs> Finding goods to sell, heavenly goods to bring back, to brighten up hell. Those golden apples, if I can just pick them up, I'll make a quick buck.
0: Nice work with the rhyming there, at the uh...
1: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that.
1: And I actually also wrote one for the waterfall, for the angel. You fool, put it down. You can't take it back with you. Hell is far too small.
0: That's the best because I didn't talk about it at all in this episode, that hell is far too small because there's going to be another chapter that really addresses that. But that is just a great point in this entire book that's going to come up.
1: Completely agree.
0: Well, for all the listeners, as usual, we encourage you to contact us on restlesspilgrim.net or our, our website, pintswithjack.com. Please message us on Twitter or Instagram at pintswithjack. We want to encourage everyone to keep going to the YouTube video. Our subscribership probably grew 30% over the last week, week and a half, which is great, but it's still way below the podcast, and we've got some grounds to make up here. Share the videos. Our most recent was Heavenly and Hellish Creatures. It's a great video, if I say so myself.
1: And very relevant to The Great Divorce.
0: Very relevant. And again, please like, please uh, rate this, please leave us a review. That's actually really helpful for evangelizing. That's how we have individuals like Josh just doing a Google search or an iTunes search or however he did it and stumbling across the podcast. But until next week, further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.